Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. Hi there, and welcome back to our sixth and final session of Follow, as we examine what it means to take daily steps with Jesus. As disciples, we do not simply want to know about Jesus, we want to follow Jesus with everything that we are in every facet of life. And so these six life-giving habits that we are considering, they work to establish us in the new life that Jesus alone gives. And in this session, we want to look at our final habit, I turn to new life. So on the 15th of November 2017, at an auction in New York, uh, Leonardo da Vinci's Salvatore Mundi, it means savior of the world, was sold for a record-breaking 450 million US dollars. That's about 6 billion rand. And Forbes magazine, writing about this historic moment, said this, and I quote, As soon as the winning bid comes in, a host of legal, logistical, even ethical actions are set in motion. You see, the new owner is barraged suddenly with a whole host of weighty questions, like, where will you keep it? If the owner kept it in New York, he would pay a tax of more than $36 million dollars. Or how will you transport it? The new owner actually had to deploy multiple decoy trucks and book multiple fake tickets on airlines just to evade any would-be art thieves. So it almost seems that if you buy a $450 million painting, suddenly everything revolves around that painting. It becomes the center point of your life. Everything now revolves around it and is continually rearranged because of it. And this is exactly what happens when Jesus becomes our Lord and Savior. He becomes the center point of everything in our lives. And now everything revolves around Him and is continually rearranged because of Him. So day to day, what does it look like to turn to new life, to become more and more like Jesus. I want us to dissect really quickly a famous portion of Scripture in Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to see the revelation of turning to new life. Read with me. It says in verse 1, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. And therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. 
But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and you have put on the new self and you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. Now it helps to have a bit of the ancient Eastern context here. You see, the city that Paul was writing to, the church was situated in the city of Colossae. And for them, all these local religions never spoke about personal change. In fact, the status quo was that people would go and pray and offer sacrifices at their temples and altars, and then turn right around and do the most horrendous things. And no one would think that is inconsistent. So for them, there was no response needed to religious truth. But Paul comes and he says, not so with Christianity. The new life inward demands a new life outward. The truth of the good news of Jesus, it has to affect you, change you, rearrange you, transform you. And verse 10 is the key. It says that we are being renewed to the image of God. So every day in Christ, we are continually turning to new life. We are being made more like Jesus. You see, when we give our lives to Christ, we instantly enter into this new life. But then a lifetime commences of applying this new life to every area of our head, heart, and hands. We turn to new life every day. And how does it happen? Paul says here that it's coming into a greater knowledge. And the Greek word that he uses here is not about book smarts. It speaks about experiential knowledge. It's about learning on the job. He says this happens by coming into a greater knowledge of three things. And the first one is this. We need to come into a greater knowledge of a new reality, a new reality. You see, Paul makes it clear that when you enter into a relationship with God through Jesus, you have your whole reality changed forever. This is now who you are. See, Christianity is not about trying to be a good or even better person. It's about the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. We are because He is. And so Paul says in verse 4 that Christ is your life. Your future is set. And now being in Jesus through faith, it's the truest thing about you. You know, I could know about your eye color, or your hobbies, your passions, some of the failures and the fears of your life. But Paul says none of those things would be the most true thing about you in Jesus. Now, what Jesus accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection has now become your reality. It changes everything. It's the most unchallengeable fact of your existence. That's why it says in 1 John 5 verse 12 that the one who has the Son, Jesus, has life. You know, when we would go on sports tours in primary school, 
we would always be hosted by the opposite team. And I'll just be honest, we wanted to live in luxury. So we would always have in our hearts that we hope these people live in a nice home and a nice neighborhood. Because, you know, that's how life is. We are judged often by people for the place that we live in, our geographical space. Well, here's what Paul says. Because of Jesus, our address has changed. We've been relocated. Our new address is Jesus. And that cannot be challenged. So Christians who grow season in and season out, who mature, are Christians who daily turn to new life, who turn to the reality of what's happened to them in Jesus. And they turn to this reality, this truth, as something that's more true than any kind of sin or circumstance their life could ever experience. So what does Paul actually say? What are these truths that make up the new reality that we have in Christ? And the first one is this. He says in verse 3, you have died with Christ. You see, Jesus' death, it brought a freedom to us from the penalty of sin over our lives. But more than that, it broke the power that sin had over us. And so to sin, I'm a dead man. And so are you if you're in Jesus. And you are now made fully alive in God. This is your new reality. And so that's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. But secondly, Paul says in verse 1, You have been raised with Christ. You see, I can be raised to life and still live in the grave. But when Jesus was raised to life, he raised us with him. This is the truth over all of my life. And the fact that I am now raised to this new life that cannot be challenged by anything in all of existence, this is my new reality. Thirdly, Paul says in verse 1, you have been seated with Christ. You see, in the ancient Jewish context, where you sat spoke about who you associated with. And so the rich would sit with the rich and the poor with the poor and the old with the old and so on. And having the seat of the right hand at a banquet or at some social engagement would be the greatest honor. And here Paul comes and he says, you have been seated in the most prestigious seat in the universe the greatest host of all, the God of the universe, our eternal Father, He associates with you. You have been seated at His right hand. He loves you. He has committed Himself to you. This is your new reality. And fourthly, Paul says, your life is hidden in Christ, verse 3. And this hidden in Christ that speaks of security, it's not based on my performance or my moral standing that keeps this relationship with God going. No, it is the success 
of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus that keeps me secure in God. You know, you can almost imagine those Russian nesting dolls. You know, as you open up one, you just find another one and another one and another one. In fact, the, the world record, the, the most complex Russian nesting doll ever built had 51 layers. I mean, can you imagine? You're like 30 layers and it just keeps going and going and going. What Paul is saying is that our life being hidden in Christ, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter how deep you go into the self. You will find your life hidden in Jesus. We are wall to wall filled with God. So when you feel weak in your faith, when you feel the enemy is attacking you with lies and distortions, when you sin or when you stumble, it's in those moments, every minute and hour, that we turn to the truth of the new reality that we have in Jesus. This is what Paul says. But secondly, he says we need to come into a greater understanding of not just a new reality, but a new rhythm. You see, Paul says Christians living in this new Jesus reality will start engaging in a new Jesus rhythm. This is now what you do. And what is this new rhythm? It's firstly to seek God's priorities in everything. And secondly, it's to set my mind on God's perspective in everything. To seek and to set. So first up, Paul says in verse 1, seek the things, the priorities above. You see, the more I get to know Jesus, the more of Jesus I want. The more of who He is I want to become. The more I want to seek His priorities in my life, in my city, and in my country. So I no longer seek after self-centered consumerism financially or unrestrained expression sexually or selfish unforgiveness relationally or comfortable living spiritually. Why? Because I want what Jesus wants. So in any moment of life that I need to make a decision, I go to the Bible and I ask, what is God's priority in this aspect of life? So every day I open the Word of God and I listen for the Spirit of God and I engage with the people of God in relationship as I seek the priorities of God in every facet of life. Whether it's for my sexuality or money or career or family or life or my hobbies, my future, my actions, all of it. You see, when someone examines my calendar or my bank statement, are they able to see a difference between my life and someone who does not yet know Jesus? Because Jesus is now both my Savior and my King. So maybe you're asking, wait, this, this sounds very different. I thought we are free people in Jesus. Well, yes, we are free, free from sin, and we are now free to become the fullness of what God has made us. To be. It's so Romans 6 as 1 says, should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not, Paul says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? 
And secondly, Paul says in verse 2, not just seeking, but he says, set your mind, your thoughts on things above. So now in all of my life, I can choose to have my thinking, my convictions shaped by old ways, or I can have all of my mind set on God's perspective, on God's realities. And, you know, practically this means that in every facet of my life, I'm trying to look at it through the eyes of heaven. And, you know, why is this important? Why is this so crucial that our thoughts become aligned with the realities of God and His kingdom? It's for this reason. Dr. William Beckers, in his book, Telling Yourself the Truth, says, the words we tell ourselves are more important than we realize. If you tell yourself something enough times and in the right circumstances, you will believe those words, whether true or not. Our life follows the direction of our thinking. And God invites us to, to set our thinking to where He is. So if I want to have sex with someone that I'm not married to, if I want to cut corners on my tax returns, if I want to gossip about a colleague, I turn to God's perspective through the Holy Spirit. And what is that? It's Him saying to me, you are my son. You are my chosen. I love you. Jesus paid for your life with His blood. You are not your own. And what you want to do here does not represent my kingdom and it does not represent who I have made you to be. That's why Acts 14 verse 15 says, We are proclaiming good news, the gospel to you, that you would turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. So a Christian who grows season in, season out, who matures, is someone who every day of their life, they are turning to a new rhythm of God priorities and God perspective in every area of life. This is now what you do. And finally, Paul says we need to come into a greater knowledge, not just of a new reality and a rhythm, but of a new response. A new response. Because he says, a new reality in Jesus and a new rhythm with Jesus asks for a new response to Jesus. This is now how you live. And what is this response? It's Paul saying, number one, we need to put to death. And secondly, put away what is not of God. Put to death and put away that which is not of God. First up, he says, in verse 5, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. So Paul mentions all these sins that basically represent our, our actions and our attitudes. And the reason is God is not interested in surface level behavior modification. He wants to do deep heart level surgery in our lives. And so these sins, they belong to our old life. And they have nothing to do with the new creation that God has made us to be. And I mean, if we're honest, because we have died with Christ, we have the spiritual power to slay the, the control that these old things want to exercise over our lives. 
you know, what we desire as people usually determines what we do. Our appetites kind of determine our actions. And so we need good accountability here. We need a good Christian friend who comes alongside us that we can say, listen, here is where I'm struggling. Here's where I'm weak. Here is where you can champion me, where you can pray with me and for me. Here's where you can challenge me and keep me accountable. I think of a message I heard many years ago uh, from a pastor who leads probably the biggest church in all of America. And he said how on all of his electronic devices, he has these filters set up to ensure that he's not looking at pornography or something else seedy like that. And he said, you know, some people would think, wow, well, that's so weak that you need to do that. And he said, no, it's not weakness, it's wisdom. I'm making one quality decision to cancel out hundreds of difficult decisions, and I'm not making it for relationship with God, so that God would think highly of me, think you so special, I love you even more. No, I'm doing it because of relationship with God. Because of who He is, I want to put these things to death. I don't want to manage my sin. I want to put them to death, kill them. But secondly, Paul says not just to put to death, but to put away all ungodly conduct in verse 8. And how do I do that? How do I put away the things that, that belong to my old life? And Paul says it's two things, basically. It's confession and it's forgiveness. It's confession and it's forgiveness. So it says in 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so too, James 5, 16 says, therefore, if we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed, the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. So when I sin and stumble, my response is not running away from God. It's not living in some kind of shame or religious guilt. It's running to Jesus and to the people of Jesus. When I sin and stumble, you know, my standing before God is not affected. Positionally, I'm exactly where I was in Jesus. But relationally, I can just ask for the forgiveness of God because Jesus it says, is so faithful. And I go to the people of God. I confess, I ask for their help and their guidance. You know, why do we do this? Why would we put things to death and put away? And in verse 9, Paul says, it's because you have taken off the old self and you've put on the new self. Like a fresh set of clothes, I'm putting on Jesus in my life. You know, I think marriage is actually a great picture of this because on your wedding day, you basically made this once-off change of direction, a new commitment, a new giving of myself way of life. But then from that day onwards, every day as a spouse, I'm continuing in that change of direction. I'm continuing in that commitment, in that giving of myself to this person. If I don't do that, I'm going to be knocking on the door of divorce very soon. You see, the quality of your marriage has nothing to do with how 
great or how terrible your wedding ceremony was. No, marriage is a moment of love and commitment that leads to a lifetime of love and commitment. And so following Jesus, it's the same thing. It's a moment of faith and transformation that leads to a lifetime of faith and transformation. So a Christian who grows season in, season out, who matures daily, is someone who every day working from the grace and the power and the truth of God aligns their earthly practice with their heavenly position. They align their earthly practice through the power of God to their heavenly position. Maybe just in closing, I can say again that, you know, it seems that if you buy a $450 million painting, that suddenly this painting becomes the center point of your life. Suddenly everything starts revolving around it and is continually rearranged because of it. And becoming a follower of Jesus, accepting Him as your Lord and Savior is exactly the same. He becomes the center point of your life. And now everything revolves around Him and is continually rearranged because of Him. So as you take daily steps with Jesus, I'm trusting that you will turn every day to new life. And for the rest of your existence, you will savor what that brings to your heart. Let's pray together. God, I want to praise you because you have brought us life and life to the full. God, it's not something that we can earn or that we can work toward, but it's this gracious gift that has been given to us in Jesus. And I pray, God, that we would have such a desire and response to your love and goodness that we would every day turn to the new life that we have in you, that we would become more like Jesus in your name, in your power, and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's been such a joy to spend this time with you and I'm praying with you, I'm trusting with you that for the rest of your life and beyond, you will take daily steps with Jesus. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.